2: No deal. Stocks fall again as the Senate fails to advance a much-needed aid package for the American people. The Dow dropping 582 points. That is another 3% loss. The sell-off coming despite more unprecedented action from the Fed. The central bank throwing pretty much every single policy action it can at the dire economic situation, offering up far larger programs anybody had ever thought possible. Welcome to CNBC's continuing coverage of the markets in turmoil, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. If you are keeping track at home, and we're pretty sure you're at home, here's a sobering stat on the sell-off. The Dow has fallen nearly 11,000 points, just as hitting an all-time high in mid-February. That is a nearly 40% drop, the fastest in history. Investors continue to see their portfolios fall, while Washington, it falls short. Stimulus still on hold. And here's a live look at the White House, where we are expecting a briefing on the coronavirus outbreak in about 30 minutes time. Of course, we're going to bring that to you live when it begins. So let us begin there in D.C., because Kayla Tausche has been tracking the stimulus situation all day long and is with us now on what happened, what didn't happen, and maybe, Kayla, what comes next.
3: Well, for a second time in two days, Brian, the vote to advance the stimulus package coming out of the Senate Republican side failed. Now, meetings are taking place in the wake of that, with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin meeting with the top Senate Democrat Chuck Schumer, followed by a meeting with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Those two back-to-back meetings potentially an update on where things stand. A senior administration official tells me that it's unlikely that that one meeting with Schumer would yield a deal in itself. But it's important to note that these talks continue, uh, with both sides optimistic that a deal of some sort can be reached. The timing of that deal, though, is in question. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also signaled some optimism this afternoon, suggesting that she would be willing uh, to bring whatever compromise bill emerges in the Senate uh, to a vote in the House as well, even as Democratic aides are circulating talking points for their own response to this. Floating a two and a half trillion dollar bill, some of the differing numbers here, they want payments of $1,500 per American, up to $7,500 for a family of five, Uh, increases in unemployment insurance, more than $200 billion for hospitals, and triple the amount of spending for education than is currently allotted uh, in the existing bill. Of course, there are provisions for uh, regulations, some conditions for uh, unions, and also environmental provisions as well, but certainly trying to put a marker down on exactly where they are. Over at the White House, as we await that coronavirus task force briefing, The focus has been on what happens a week from today, Brian, when the president wants to reopen the economy and wants to limit the economic fallout where possible if the health care crisis is under control and the economy is able to reopen. And even in places like New York, which is the current epicenter of the virus, leaders are wondering how long the economy can sustain this.
1: I take total responsibility for shutting off the economy in terms of essential workers. But we also have to start to plan the pivot back to uh, economic functionality, right? You can't stop the economy uh, forever.
3: New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, he said that uh, this is an important oxygen valve to the economy that is currently shut off. I imagine Brian will get a question to the president in just a few moments about exactly uh, what his thoughts are on when the economy should reopen and whether the U.S. health care system can withstand that.
2: Yeah, and Kayla, I know there's a lot of frustration with D.C., but for a lot of our viewers who may not be remember 2008 from a business perspective, I think there is a little bit of guidance there. Remember, the initial TARP vote, which was in September of 08, it failed. It failed the Senate. The markets continued to fall. It got them talking again. And ultimately, a deal was indeed signed. This is not done yet. And I would imagine the folks you talk to say if things keep getting worse from a financial markets perspective, it will force them to get something done sooner than later.
3: Yes, but Brian, those of us who were covering this in 2008 also remember that uh, the time period that those discussions were going on was condensed compared to right now. The selling in the market, these downslides have been so protracted at this point that the market drop today uh, is relatively small compared to the volatility that we've seen in recent weeks. And there are some questions about whether it was sharp enough to actually stun lawmakers into submission to get them to understand the urgency of this to pass something Back in 2008, the market fell 7% on the day that that TARP vote failed. And that was one of the biggest drops of that time. And that was really what it took. Although today's drop, uh, as I noted, is is much smaller than even what we saw last week.
2: Yeah, good stuff there. Kayla Tausche, thank you very much. Well, stocks certainly tumbled on the news that the Senate failed to advance the stimulus package. And also, we just got word less than 30 minutes ago That London will pretty much be on a form of lockdown. Let's bring in now Guy Adami to talk more about all this. And Guy, the reason that I referenced London was, listen, that is the capital of the foreign exchange markets. We don't talk a lot about FX, but it is the largest, most liquid market in the world. And everything is priced in dollars or euros. If there's some dislocation or disruption in the currency markets because that lockdown, would you expect more market volatility everywhere, particularly here?
4: Hey, Brian, so the short answer is yes, but what I'll tell you is, and you know this, and it's something we've talked about, we've had currency volatility now for the better part of 18 months. I mean, when I first started doing this in the late 1980s, if a currency moved 1% in three weeks, it was a huge move. Now we see percentage moves in a couple of hours, and that's been going on for quite some time. So although this obviously is not going to help volatility in the currency market, it's been here and it's gonna stick around so I hear what you're saying and it's somewhat disconcerting but it probably needed to be done in terms of what's going on over there and the markets will figure it out
2: yeah certainly and it did need to be done from a human health perspective as well It's just kind of one more thing to factor in here guy and I brought up that tarp analogy in 2008 because would you expect the markets will continue to be volatile and likely volatile to the downside Until Congress can get something done,
4: yeah. And on Friday, you asked me—I'm paraphrasing—but you asked if I had any confidence in our political leaders, and I said no, unequivocally no. I said I had confidence in our fellow uh, fellow citizens and in our neighbors, but to the extent that I had confidence that they'd get anything done, the answer is no. Now, something will get done. I have no idea of knowing when it will get done, but they'll push it to the limit. And in my world, that limit. Probably takes us down once again to that two thousand and thirty level in the s and p five hundred again not that uh, funded, not that technicals matter, but just quickly because you you're trying to find some silver linings, and I think Mike Santoli sort of danced around this earlier. You did not have indiscriminate selling today everything wasn 't down. I know Tim Seymour I think tweeted about this earlier and he 's going to come on, but you had. NVIDIA up 3.5%, Micron 6%, AMAT 57 So you had some move in these tech names and these chip names. And interestingly enough, and I have no idea what it means, but maybe China is just that much uh, farther ahead on the curve, yet Win Resorts up 11%, understanding it's a stock that's gotten annihilated. So uh, around the edges, and and this is going to sound ridiculous, but at least you're seeing some, some semblance of normalcy coming back in terms of people not just selling everything and hitting buttons.
2: Yeah. Does it feel like then, guys, some of this forced selling that obviously existed, hedge funds that probably have gone away or are close to it, quants, algos, people in a desperate rush for cash. Does it feel like some of that has slowed down?
4: Yes. The short answer is yes. When you have a market that's gone down what is it now? 34% in a record amount of, in record, a short amount of time, a record, I believe. Yeah, I think a lot of that's been done. There's probably a little more left to do, but I think the lion's share has been done. So I think we can take, we can take some solace in that. Um, and now I think the market will find its footing in terms of winners and losers. And clearly today, if you look at the industrials, not particularly winners. Clearly, the banks are not winners. But around the edges, you're seeing some signs of people saying, you know what, these stocks have just been taken out to the woodshed too much, and maybe there's some value here. So you, I'll take something out of that.
2: You referenced China. Okay, Eunice Yoon, who, by the way, has been doing Pulitzer-type work. Well, I you mean, saw I, what
4: I tweeted. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely.
2: 100%. Out there, and I don't know if she's watching, Eunice. Uh, we love you, and we're, and we're glad that you're safe, first and foremost. She was just tweeting out that, Yum! Brands in China, KFC, Taco Bell, they announced that 95% of their stores are back to being open, albeit they're still social distancing. It's two months ago that Wuhan got locked down. The Chinese market began to recover, what, about about a month ago, roughly, or so. If we look at the curve of China, traffic data, all this stuff, it appears that, to your point, if we go another couple of weeks and follow that curve, that's when we might be able to f- say, there's the trough. Is yeah, China the- sort of, sort of the, the crystal ball here?
4: Yeah, well, let's, Well, I think we have to hope that's the case, right? Because they clearly seem to be coming out the other end, albeit slowly. She also mentioned, I think, a zoo was opened as well. And that, you know, that's just anecdotal, but that's somewhat encouraging. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can take some hope in that. I think there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. But again... I think, I think what's going on, what happened in China was probably far more draconian in terms of some of the things put in place than what's going on here. We can tell people to stay at home and not leave, but you see the videos as well as I do. Unless people adhere to it, it's really not doing us any, any good. I think people need to take it extraordinarily serious, and if we can, we'll all get through it together.
2: I like the optimism there at the end. Guy Dami, you be well as well, my friend, and we'll talk to Thanks, you soon. Brian. Thank you all very right. much. Well, today's market drop comes from, even despite of, more unprecedented action from the Federal Reserve. Policymakers unleashing the largest policy action program in the history of the modern world. All in, this is going to be exponentially larger than 2008. The plan is to buy a stunning $125 billion of various securities every day this week. Here's what the Fed has said it will buy or help backstop the banks on. Are you ready? Corporate debt. Asset-backed securities, municipal bonds, commercial mortgage-backed securities. By the way, that's in addition to a $300 billion lending program backed by the Treasury. It also includes a separate loan facility not yet formally announced, targeted directly at Main Street, which, of course, is likely to be hit hardest by the sudden downturn. Let's talk more about all of this with former PIMCO chief economist Paul McCulley, now lecturing at Georgetown. Uh, Paul, listen, uh, this is very different then in 08, because in 08, we kind of understood what we were dealing with. Some of the programs were untested. The Fed, it looks like, has basically opened the barn door and said, everything we can do, we're going to do. But we still can't get people to go to stores because they're on lockdown. What's going to be the economic impact of this?
1: I think we learned a lot from the financial crisis of 2008. I think the Fed learned a lot which is that when you get hit with something of this nature, uh, bold is not uh, a uh, a vice but a virtue. And they are being incredibly bold and basically are saying, we have the helicopters uh, all ready to go, and wherever they can get them, they are going to get them, which predominantly right now is liquefying markets, and they're doing it with overwhelming force. The important thing, however, is they can't get, The helicopter to land on Main Street until Congress acts to authorize, essentially, the Main Street funding facility. And that's the beauty of what's going on right now. I actually have a fair amount of optimism in that Secretary Mnuchin and Jay Powell are working very closely together, and they're ready to go with, essentially, a levered-up Main Street uh, lending facility funded by helicopter money. Uh, and just waits essentially for Congress to say okay. So I think we're going all in uh, with both monetary and fiscal policy, which will stabilize the situation. It won't prevent a recession. You can't prevent a recession because this is a mandated recession or an induced coma. But what you can do is replace the income and guarantee the contracts of Main Street to get us to the other side. And I think that's what we're going to do.
2: Yeah, and I think you laid it out well. I mean, there's still economists on Wall Street, with all due respect to them, that are arguing about, you know, whether we will have a recession. That's ridiculous. To your point, this is a mandated recession. The largest cities in America have basically been told, don't go out, don't spend anything unless you absolutely have to. It's going to come. The difference, though, between now and 08, Paul, as you well know, was, wait! these things were designed to get people to feel a little more confident, maybe go buy a house, maybe go buy a car, allow the banks to make credit here we're being t- we had a great economy before in many senses, and now we 're being told don't go out. This is very
1: different. It is categorically different because it's not about stimulating spending it's about replacing income that's lost because of the Mandated recession. And equally important, it's about uh, liquefying and guaranteeing contracts, whether it's financial contracts, that's called, you know, bonds, uh, or other contracts, so as that uh, we, the people, can conclude that we're living in a going concern, because uh, we need to have replacement of income and also uh, a belief in the going concern nature of our contracts. If we get there, uh, then I think we've reached the bottom from the standpoint of the risk aversion on Wall Street. When we look at what
2: the numbers are, and we tried to put it together today a little bit, say adding up this and that, and then you throw on leverage from the Treasury, is it possible that by the end of this, if this goes on a few months or as long as we need it to go on, Paul, that we could have a, 10, a 7 to $10 trillion total fiscal and monetary action?
1: Certainly, I think so. Essentially, the beauty of what's being done now and the cooperation between the Treasury and the Fed is the leverage. Uh, the Fed is not allowed to take credit risk. The Treasury is with the authorization of Congress. So essentially, what we're doing is having Treasury provide the equity piece into a special purpose vehicle that, that can be levered to uh, the sky by the Fed. So essentially, the Fed is becoming the prime broker for Congress.
2: Final question, will this work?
1: I think it will. Yes. Our economy is a going concern, and we're getting really close in the financial markets to playing it that way.
2: I like the optimism there again at the end. Paul McCulley. now at Georgetown. Paul, it's a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. I have a feeling. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, my friend. All right, take care. and of course, we're going to have much more on all of this in a CNBC special report tonight, once again, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Join Scott and the gang for that. All right, on deck as our special coverage continues here some signs of stability, the one stock that could be pointing to a near term bottom for the market. Maybe. We're going to bring you that name ahead. And we are just minutes away from the White House briefing on the coronavirus. We will take you there live as soon as it begins. And we are back right after this short break. And welcome back. You are looking live at the White House, where we are awaiting a briefing on the coronavirus. We're going to bring that to you live the moment that it begins. But in the meantime, let's turn down back to the reason that you're probably here, the markets and the economy. Look at Apple stock. It fell fairly hard today. Apple is down nearly 24 percent this year and risk of losing its spot in the trillion dollar club. But the big sell off in technology has some investors licking their chops for the long term. Here's what hedge fund titan David Tepper said earlier today. On CNBC.
4: I'm nibbling there and a little bit of health care today, um, hospitals and such, but mostly there I'm nibbling, I would say, in that tech sort of
6: stuff.
2: Let's now bring in Dan Nathan. All right, Dan, welcome. Like last week, you said that when Apple and Microsoft began to really sell off, even as other parts of the market didn't, that that actually might to you signal a bottom. Again, why is that and what did you see today?
7: Well, yeah, Sully. So last week when we were talking about it, to to me, the relative um, outperformance of, let's say, the two largest names in the market, Microsoft and Apple, um, really stuck out to me last week. And you just mentioned that Apple now is down about 24 percent on the year. That's basically in line with the S&P 500. That was not the case early last week. It's down about 30 percent from its all time and 52 week highs also made. Uh, last month. That is also in line basically with the S&P 500. So the fact that it's catching up to the downside after the S&P and and a lot of the components and a lot of the sectors were really getting murdered last week um, shows me that you're finally seeing a bit of that forced selling that you've been talking about. You know, people will try to hold on to the winners like Apple and Microsoft as long as they can and then finally you're just selling whatever you got, whatever you have that's left that's up. And I think you got to remember Apple was up 85 percent in 2019, up 100% from its January 2019 lows by the end of the year. Um, so when you think about that sort of outperformance, it really has to come out on the downside. And that was one of the things that I thought might show a little bit of capitulation. And that being said, I was just listening to Guy Adami, one of the smartest guys I know in this market. And what was he trying to show you? Look at the outperformance today to the upside of some of these groups like semiconductors that were some of the hardest hit first. I think that's a really interesting tell the juxtaposition between Apple and, let's say, the semis.
2: Yeah. And despite some really difficult inventory data that we are likely to get, actually oil caught a bid rising toward the end. But, Dan, I want to focus, too, on the banks. I mean, Bank of America down another 8 percent today. It's down 48 percent this year. The market certainly didn't act like we were out of the banking
7: woods yet. Well, I'll tell you, you mentioned banks. Look at the home builders. Um, You saw energy stocks, despite crude being up. You know, there were some areas in the market today that just acted horrible. And you might say, well, that's near capitulation, too. We're one. Fiscal stimulus headline away from a massive short squeeze in those names. They're just being pressed to the downside for really at this point, no great reason other than liquidation, um, because we really can't put our fingers just yet on what Q1 and Q2 looks like. So to me, you know, the selling in those spaces looks a bit indiscriminate, especially for a lot of these people. I see the calls for opening the economy back up sooner than later seem to be growing a little bit. And that's where investors could really get caught sides a little bit on sectors like the banks, like home builders I'm, I'm not telling you they're coming back anytime soon, but make no mistake, a vicious, vicious short squeeze is coming pretty soon. You, yeah. And so
2: you believe that we could see some violent moves to the upside sooner than later.
7: Well, I mean, it gets to a point, Sully, where there's no one really left to sell. When you think about how fast we've come down 30% in the S&P 500 and to your point where bank uh, bank stocks have basically massively outperformed to the downside versus the indices, um, you know, at some point you're going to get a bit of a snapback. You know, we don't know what we don't know at this point, but the fact is there's been not a shred of good news. For the last month or so, sooner or later, we're going to get some and we're going to see basically just how uh, convicted the shorts are here. And I suspect you see um, a a really, really violent short covering rally in the next week or so. Yeah,
2: but, but from a longer term perspective, you don't believe it's still safe enough for our casual investor viewers and listeners out there to start reallocating a lot of money to the overall market right now?
7: Listen, if you have cash right now, the idea with the S&P 500 down 30% to start dollar cost averaging in makes a lot of sense. We've talked about this a lot. The last two recessions we've had in 2001 and then 2007, 8, 9 in that period where the stock market sold off in each instance about 50%. I suspect that we are definitely going to have a recession in 2020. The, the, The real question is how deep and how long. And at this point, down 30%, we're discounting a definite recession, but we don't know those other two answers. So if you think about the worst case scenario is down 50%, let's say garden variety recession slash market crash, well then you really have to start thinking about five, 10 years out and start picking at these things. But I'll make one point about Apple. We just said it was up 85% last year in a year where earnings, sales, iPhone units and margins did not go up, all right? They were basically all flat year over year. So you had this massive multiple expansion. Now, the stock is back at 16 times, but consensus estimates is still calling for about 10% earnings growth, about 4% sales growth. That seems a bit aggressive. So, the stock is probably still too expensive. So, until we start getting more visibility about Q1 and what maybe Q2 looks like and the snapback in the second half, if it comes, stocks are still pretty expensive. If you think about how we calculate P and E, we know that the E is going to be coming down, but we don't have any visibility on that. So Apple has more room to drop. It may rally sharply, yeah. but to my eye, you will probably have a move back to 200 at some point later on this year.
2: Yeah, because it's not like companies are saying we're going to be down 10% in earnings. It's we don't have any idea. We're withdrawing all of our guidance that E is a giant mystery. And anybody tells you otherwise, I I think they're just guessing. Dan, Nathan, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. All right. Coming up, some potentially good market news, because we know you need some. Why one top-ranked technician says we could be closing in on a bottom. Something has happened. It's only happened four times in 100 years. He'll talk about that. And we're still awaiting that White House briefing. Expected to get underway in moments. We'll bring it to you when it does. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Let's get you now up to speed on the latest of the fight against the coronavirus pandemic. Frank Holland has that at CNBC HQ. Frank.
8: Brian, here is the very latest. New Zealand is joining the list of countries that are mandating that their citizens stay at home. The prime minister says this lockdown will last about four weeks. Citizens are getting 48 hours to prepare to go into self-isolation. Back here in the U.S., New Jersey has become the first state in the nation to release prisoners in an effort to slow the spread of coronavirus. The move affects some low-risk inmates at county jails. And Virginia is closing its public schools for the rest of the academic year. Governor Northam had previously announced a two-week school closure. Some businesses are also being ordered to close. That includes gyms, theaters, and bowling alleys. And some people in Boston, they're trying their hardest to find the lighter side of this outbreak. The duck and duckling statues, a fixture in Boston's public garden, they're now wearing masks. The figures come from the children's book Make Way for Ducklings and those statues, a very popular tourist attraction. And, Brian, as always, for more coronavirus coverage, head to CNBC.com.
2: Well, those ducks don't want to run afoul of the law requiring them. I, listen, we, we, need we don't need
8: puns at this time. We,
2: we, Brian. Need, no, we, we need, need something. Effort. Frank, we need <laughs> been a long couple weeks. It has. Frank Collin, thank it. you very much. Appreciate that. All right, coming up. We are just moments away for that White House briefing on the coronavirus. We'll take you there live. We'll also get an update on the technicals of this market. Any reason to be a little more optimistic? We'll talk about it coming up. Stick around. All right, welcome back. There's a live look at the White House where we are awaiting a briefing on the coronavirus outbreak. We're going to bring that to you as live as soon as it occurs. But while we await that, let us bring in Craig Johnson. He is chief market technician at Piper Sandler and joins us now. Craig, by the way, if I have to cut away because of the briefing, my apologies in advance, my friend. You sent me a note saying that there are some things technically that you're seeing that you've only seen or have happened four times in the last 50 or plus years What are they, and does it give you some optimism that a bottom is near?
9: Brian, that is absolutely correct. This is only the fourth time we've seen all these breadth measures from a technical perspective reach zero, and the last several times we have seen this, you had huge opportunities to be buying stocks. Not only are these indicators at zero, sentiment gauges that we look at are all at very, very washed out levels, and now is the time we need to start leaning in and start buying stocks in here. Yes, the news is really negative with the coronavirus, but a lot of it is already baked in at this point in time. And when we have gone to be more than 20 percent below a simple 200 day moving average, Brian, looking back into the 1974 crisis, looking back in 08, 09, looking back at where we were in December of 18 when we were on the show talking about when it was time to buy stocks. This is when you step up and you start leaning into it and start buying stocks here.
2: You know, however, though, Craig, we hear often, in fact, we heard at the top of this show that technicals don't matter much right now in this kind of an environment. What's your answer to that?
9: Uh, The answer to that is flat out that is incorrect, because you look at some of the Fibonacci retracement levels, you look at support levels. Yes, you're breaking through some of these support levels because of the coronavirus and concerns about uh, loved ones and the things like that and selling in these stocks, but you are seeing support levels being obeyed and you are seeing trend changes starting to happen. And uh, the technicals do matter because right now earnings don't at this point in time because we have no idea what the revisions these earnings are going to look like. So, so support levels do matter.
2: You said it might be time to start looking at, at certain stocks. Is there any stocks or industries that to you maybe look more washed out than others and would be a better long term bet? Because you are supposed to buy low and sell higher.
9: Absolutely. And if you pull the playbook of what happened back in 08 and 09, everybody scrambled to get back into the market. You even saw that coming off the lows in December of uh, 18. So some of these companies, like the restaurants, for example, whether it's Chipotle, whether it's Wendy's, whether it's uh, any of those kind of names, they are down more than 50, 60, even in some cases, 70% from the highs you'd seen back in January. Also, look at what you're doing with the airlines. There is going to be some support coming from a fiscal stimulus package for those. And I suspect you're going to see the same for the cruise lines. All those kind of names are tremendously sold off, well overdone, and you want to step up and be buying some of those names at this point in time. But, also, names but like I'm sure, Nike, Hold on, Craig. Going I'm going to jump in because I'm,
2: I'm sure you, I know you've got fundamental analysts there as well, and everybody's still working despite not being able to be in the same room. I'm sure there is some talk that some of these stocks, and I'm not going to, no way am I going to name any names, are going to go to zero. I mean, there's going to be bankruptcies in some of those industries.
9: There is potential for some of these to go to zero, as you would say. But again, think about what is happening with fiscal policy. They're going to put some processes in place, to put some, uh, make liquidity available to a lot of these uh, restaurants and to a lot of these airlines and to the cruise lines. And I think they are going to see these, these companies snap back pretty quickly. You can even go look at some of these food distributors, Brian. I mean, we've got real issues if some of these food distributors are going to zero.
2: Yeah. Well, obviously not those. I'm talking about just sort of, you know, beaten up retailers as well that are that have already been struggling, restaurants, retailers, whatever, already struggling before this outbreak. Hey, by the way, Craig, have you looked at all the Chinese market now, China's got obviously they got sort of the iron fist as far as they can. You know, they'll go in and buy stocks of their own companies and, 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 you know, the the party's part of a shareholder and part of many of these companies. So it's not perfectly analogous. But have you found any solace in the fact that the
9: Chinese market has held up reasonably well? Absolutely, and I think it is kind of the playbook for us looking forward from here. We're gonna kind of hit the peak of this coronavirus over the next several weeks in here. We've discounted a lot of the negative uh, impact for the virus into the market at this point in time. And if we could just get the politicians to kind of get on the same page with each other and put a plan together here, um, I think we're going to see a long wait and see a lot of these stocks come back, just like you've seen over in China at this point in time, Brian. What's the next
2: most important either data point or anything that you are looking at, Craig?
9: The next important data point that I'm going to be watching is I'm going to be watching I want to continue to see strength in the dollar. That means that the dollar is still on good, solid you know, footing at that point in time. Also, after that, I'm going to be watching to see some of these stocks start to reverse some of their downtrends. And I'm going to ultimately be watching to see if we can see uh, the, the bond market ultimately continue to remain stable in here. I think the Fed action today was critical to stabilizing the bond market. And I think that's going to be a, a critical part to what we're going to see happen with equities in the next coming days and weeks.
2: Yeah, we 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 highlighted last week the LQD and some of these other bond funds. I wrote a piece about it about a week and a half ago about some of these bond funds that you really had to watch as sort of signposts. The LQD actually rising nearly 8 percent. That's an investment grade bond index. That's the kind of stuff you're talking about. Seeing that go up is kind of a canary in, in the good kind of a coal mine, perhaps.
9: Yes, that is correct. And I'd also add into that the VIX. The VIX index spiked at 80. is now starting to come down. So I think we're starting to get a little bit more calm into the market. Things seem to be functioning a little bit better. Today was a great day in the market. Liquidity seemed to be fine. Things seemed to be orderly, even though this was the first day for electronic trading uh, across the board with the floor closed. Everything seemed to be functioning normally and things seem to be getting on the right track again.
2: Yeah, amazing. And I will let you go. Craig, by the way, nailed the run up the entire way last year. So, Craig, we really appreciate your point of view. And by the way, I believe it is the first day in 200 and some years that the NYSC has had trading, but without a physical presence. It's been closed as trading was closed after 9-11, but I believe it's the first time they've traded without people. Craig Johnson, thank you very much. Do appreciate that. Well, CBC, of course, has continuing coverage of today's sell-off, the markets, the economy, and the stimulus plan, which failed the Senate yet again. Be sure to catch that tonight, as always, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, stunning new details on how the coronavirus is impacting what is likely your most valuable investment. Do you think low rates are just going to keep housing booming? You might want to think again. Diane Olick will join us on that. Plus, again, waiting on the White House briefing on the virus. When that occurs... We'll bring it to you live. Meantime, we're back right after this. All right, and as a reminder, we are awaiting the latest White House press briefing on the coronavirus. When it occurs, we will bring it to you live. We expected it to begin about 15 minutes ago, so it could happen at any time. Now, in the meantime... The outbreak in the moving bond markets having a big impact on the housing market. Many homeowners, no doubt, are going to be looking for relief on their mortgage payments. And now the mortgage industry is starting to feel the pressure. Diana Olick joining us now live with more on that side of the story. Diana.
0: Brian, last week, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and the FHA announced loan forbearance, allowing borrowers impacted by coronavirus to delay their monthly mortgage payments. And that's a big help for borrowers. But here's the catch. The companies that collect those payments, the servicers, they still have to pay the investors who own those loans in mortgage-backed bonds, or MBS. Now, servicers can handle some delinquencies, but nothing like we are likely about to see. The Mortgage Bankers Association sent a letter to the Fed and Treasury late yesterday saying the burden on servicers could top $100 billion, which those servicers just don't have.
10: Nobody predicted the demands that this would place on servicers. So they need an ability to have the liquidity to make it happen. And if if there's not some kind of ability through a liquidity facility, then the servicers won't be able to meet their obligations to the investors, and um, the whole process will break down.
0: So the services could actually go bankrupt, taking the whole housing finance system down with them. Now, just a note earlier today, the FHFA announced it would allow multifamily mortgage borrowers to delay their monthly payments as long as they don't evict any tenants. So, Brian, you can see this is all trickling down to that system that gets the money from you to the investors in the mortgage-backed bonds and keeps the system going.
2: Uh, Let's go back to the actual market itself, if we can, Diana, because obviously mortgage rates, interest rates, they've actually ticked up. When you issue so much debt, you're going to start to see interest rates go up a bit. But they are still very near lows. Mortgage rates, you just look at them on paper, they're near lows. But could you get a mortgage right now if you wanted to? I mean, are we starting to see this impact the actual housing market? I have to believe we are.
0: Yeah. I mean, can you get a mortgage now? Yes, you certainly can. I mean, the rates have been fluctuating pretty widely. We had them down at record loads just three weeks ago. Then they bumped up Pretty dramatically toward the end of last week. So a lot of people are in refinances. There's a lot of questions of how are they going to close those loans? You know, if you can't do the closing in person, then can you do a notarization online? A lot of states don't allow it right now. They're trying to push to make that system happen online. So closing could be hard. And for the purchase side of it, you know, honestly, I don't know that there are a lot of people out there who want to buy a house right this minute. That doesn't mean there isn't a tremendous amount of demand in the market. And, of course, we still don't have that many homes for sale. And to make matters worse, now people are actually delisting the properties that they wanted to sell this spring.
2: Yeah, and, of course, all this stuff that we talk about really only recently that that happens behind the scenes in the mortgage market, the grease on the wheels, you mentioned MBS trading, all these things that we really hadn't thought about since 2008 and 2009. The Fed did a good job of loosening that up. But the folks you talked to today, what are they actually hearing about how the mortgage market is functioning?
0: Well, the mortgage market is, you know, it's still functioning. You can, as I said, still get a loan, but it's a question of are MBS investors still in that market? Have they gotten, you know, so priced out that they just don't want to be in it anymore, so nervous about the risk that we're going to see more prepayments, that we're going to see more loan delinquencies, that they just don't want to buy those mortgage-backed bonds? But of course, then the Fed came in and is now saying they're going to buy billions of dollars worth. So the system will continue. We will see mortgages made. It's just a question of, Who's going to want to be in that market? And remember, back during the subprime mortgage crisis, we had a lot of loan delinquencies, a lot of foreclosures, but they happened over a long period of time. It was three to four years that those loans went bad. Now we're looking at potential delinquencies spiking in just one or two months. And that's a lot for the system to handle.
2: Yeah, as Paul McCulley said at the top of the show, it's kind of a government mandated recession in a way. Basically, they're telling you don't do certain things. Diana, oh, look, looking at the housing side of the story. Diana, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Boeing stock getting a much-needed boost today, but it has still been an absolutely terrible year for the company and its investors. 400 bucks last year, 105 today. We'll find out what is next for that stock. And we are still awaiting that White House briefing. When it occurs, we'll take it to you. Meantime, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this. I want to show you something I honestly didn't think we'd ever see. That is Times Square. It's almost 6 p.m. This would be normally rush hour. Uh, you can see there are two police cars there and somebody on a bike going by. But there is absolutely nobody in Times Square. I just sent out a picture on Instagram and Twitter as well. It's I know it's raining, but even on a rainy night in New York City at 6 p.m., there would be tens of thousands of people rushing through that intersection right there. Truly incredible scenes in New York City. Well, probably the same in D.C. In D.C. is, of course, where we are expecting any moment. We were expecting 20 minutes ago, actually, to get this coronavirus hearing or press briefing started. It has not. When it does, we will bring it to you. In the meantime, back to the markets. And let's talk about Boeing. Boeing today rising 11%, helping to pair some of the losses on the Dow despite the fact the company said it is shutting down factories in Washington state due to the coronavirus. Phil LeBeau has more on the Boeing story, which has been a $400 to $100 stock. Truly a year to forget for Boeing and its investors, Phil.
10: That's true, Brian. But in terms of what the stock did today, remember that you had Goldman ringing the bell on Uh, Boeing and basically saying, look, we think the worst news is already baked in. That's one reason why the stock moved higher today. But as you mentioned, there was some news regarding Boeing today. The company's suspending its manufacturing operations in the Puget Sound area, all around Seattle. That includes the Everett, Washington plant, where they build this 777 and the 787 Dreamliner. By the way, the suspension of that production, that kicks in on Wednesday. The workers will get paid, however, during the suspension. This is one more case of coronavirus. Is having an impact on manufacturing here in the U.S. And in terms of the airline industry, I want to switch gears a little bit because so many people have been asking me today: Are they going to get this bailout? This 60. 60- there are $50 billion that is going to help them. Yeah, they're going to get the $50 billion. The question is, will there be a cash grant so they can immediately tide over salaries? That would be $25 billion. Or is it going to be all $50 billion in loans collateralized to aircraft, which is not what the uh, industry wants? And one last thing. Check out the airline index. B of A today out today basically saying, look, these guys have a couple of months where they either get the bailout or in a couple of months, you may see some bankruptcies there. So some news happening, not only with the airlines, but also with Boeing. And by the way, speaking of Boeing, you do not want to miss this interview. First on CNBC, tomorrow morning on Squawk Box, 8 a.m. Eastern, we will be talking with Dave Calhoun, CEO of Boeing. It has been a very, very challenging month for Boeing. Lots of questions for Dave Calhoun. You do not want to miss that interview. Brian?
2: That, that is a big interview. And, of course, Dave coming in and thinking he's going to be dealing with the 737 MAX issues now he's dealing with the 737 max issues, but they seem small in many ways, I would imagine, compared to the largest drop-off in airline passenger demand, yeah. in, except for a few days probably after 9-11. I mean, truly incredible times to come in as a new CEO. Not a new CEO, but
10: a new CEO to Boeing. And the big concern in the industry, Brian, especially for investors, is... Will the problems in the airline industry, and it's not just here in North America, it's worldwide, will it lead to a number of airlines saying, you know what, I'm going to either defer or cancel deliveries that I'm on the books for, let's say, later this year, next year, whatever it might be. At some point, will they defer those, which obviously will hurt the backlog at Boeing to a certain extent. And it really has people questioning whether or not this great bull run that we've seen over the last 10 years, really, when it comes to aircraft orders, is it done? Is it done because of what we're seeing the airline industry go through right now? We'll talk to Dave Calhoun about that.
2: Yeah, that is a big interview. You cannot afford to miss 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Phil, we will look forward to that. Phil, thank you very much. All right, coming up more on today's market side. Dow falling another 3%, now down 37% from its all-time highs just one month ago. The steepest drop of that magnitude, the fastest drop in the history of of the stock market. Of course, still waiting on D.C. in many ways, by the way, not just the White House briefing, but we had a failed stimulus plan vote today as well. We're back with a lot more right after this. And a reminder, still waiting on the coronavirus outbreak briefing at the White House. When it begins, we're going to take it to you live. All right. Investors also frantically searching, not just for some sort of guidance and stimulus from D.C., but safety In this market, which continues to drop, down another 3% today. So where exactly might there be some havens out there? Let's bring in CNBC contributor Brian Kelly. Brian, we had seen pretty much everything fall last week, even things like gold and Bitcoin, because people were in a rush to raise cash. It appears some stabilization in maybe those markets the last couple of sessions. What are you seeing? And do you believe that gold, Bitcoin, and other assets may be a place to park some money right now?
11: Yeah. Hey, Sully, you know, that's it's exactly right. There was actually some silver lining out there today. I know people focus, you know, on the stock market and they see it down three percent and they go, oh, geez, things are still bad. Um, but there was some good news out there. I mean, one, the bond market. That's the most important thing. You had Diana on talking about the chain effect of having rising rates and having a dysfunctioning fixed income market. What the Fed did today was essential to stop that problem. So that's step one. Bonds went up. That's great news. Yeah, you're gonna, they're going to be printing a lot of money. They're going to be borrowing a lot of money. But investors can protect themselves by buying things that have a fixed supply, which is gold, which is Bitcoin, stuff like that. And so both of those went up. The market started to react like it, quote, unquote, is supposed to react today, which means some of the forced liquidation is likely done. And this is maybe, maybe, and I'm trying to have some uh, optimism here, we're forming a bottom.
2: Yeah, BK, sit tight for one second. Uh, obviously, it's 6 o'clock Eastern time, and most of our audience right now is tuning in for Jim Cramer and Mad Money. Jim and Mad will come up, but they will begin at the bottom of the hour. So 6.30 p.m. Eastern time for Jim and Mad Money. He's got a big lineup, including the CEOs of Teladoc and Ventas as well. Tonight, a little bit different because we are expecting or were expecting this White House press conference, which could begin at any moment. For those of you tuning in who obviously tune in, love Jim, love to watch Mad, he'll be on, but it's 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. BK, thank you for that pause. I wanted to make sure our viewers understood why we are still on and not Jim. What do you want to see happen yep. from the market the next couple of sessions, which might confirm some of those things that you're talking about?
11: Yeah, so uh, what I'm really looking for is how the equity markets react to this, to this uh, stimulus bill. You know, it looked like today when we were getting close to a vote, the equity market tried to rally, then the vote failed, equity market sold off. So to me, that's the real key here. We've got a couple pieces of the puzzle, which we have the bond market, we have the forced liquidation ending. Now, if we can get the equity market to react to the stimulus, then I think you might have, you know, a tradable bottom, a short squeeze coming, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think we see some stabilization in asset prices.
2: Yeah. And what's what's your concern point? We've tried to be able to find some some pockets of optimism pretty much all show long. But but is there something that
11: you're still watching that has you a little bit worried still, BK? So it's the currency markets. We've seen tremendous volatility in the currency markets and tremendous volatility in fixed income. And in particular, I'm watching Japan. So we all know that every single government out there is going to have to raise a lot of money. What's happening in Japan is very concerning because you're starting to see the yen weaken for the wrong reasons. You're seeing their credit default swaps, and we're bringing back all those three-letter names from the 2008 crisis. But this basically shows you, you know, do people believe that Japan is going to default? And those prices are going up. So there's an issue there, and that's if you're an investor, you need to keep a close eye on what's going on in Japan.
2: Yeah, by the way, according to our great data team, U.S. Index Futures opened for trading just a couple of minutes ago, and they are higher. I mean, it's very early right now, but the Dow's implied open is about a gain of 245 points. I mean, that would be less than half what we lost today, and we've got a long way to go how representative do you think, BK, these futures markets, the Asia markets have been? Or has literally the U.S. market been leading the world? And we don't really know what's going to happen until trading begins.
11: Yeah, it's one of those things where, ask me in 10 minutes, you know? I mean, you look this morning when the Fed came in, and the market had swung 1,000 Dow points. And then by 10.30, it had been all race. So it's really difficult to get a feel and a read on this market much longer than a couple hours these days. Um, again, I'll go, I'll go back to if the U.S. government can pass this stimulus, I think that should be relatively positive for equities.
2: Yeah, and we, we look at these equity markets and we think, okay, we're down 37% since the highs of a month ago. All the superlatives that our viewers now know, the, 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 the fastest, steepest descent ever down that far but yet we still haven't fallen as much as 2001 or as 2008. Do you think we got to test that? And Guy Dami said it earlier, 2,000, level or 1,700 on the S&P 500 that Scott Minard is talking about. As painful as those levels sound, do you believe
11: we're going to get there? Yeah, listen, we could. We could. And I know that sounds painful. But I'll tell you what, that's when investors really want to have some cash on hand. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest rallies that we've had, they've all occurred in the bear market. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, stories today about this is the worst market since the 1930s. But even in the 1930s, you had an initial 30 percent drop from 29 to 30. And then the market rallied 50 percent off the lows. So if you're looking for a point to get in here, you know, that might be the place. And you could have a massive rally. And we likely will, even if it remains a bear market.
2: Yeah. And and that's exactly what Dan Nathan was saying earlier, he said, do not be surprised. Like, by the way, we had last week and the week before to see a violent rally to the upside. But it sounds like if if and when we get that, you'd be a seller into that.
11: Um, yeah, but I would let it run for a couple of weeks. I think Dan's probably right. You know, you've, you've got uh, some time here that the shorts are going to cover. Hopefully we get some better news about this virus as we kind of move out in time. Uh, But, yeah, if we got a 50 percent rally off the lows, I would absolutely be a
6: seller of that.
2: What's the next most important data point, BK, that you might be watching for? I I would assume, maybe I'm wrong, that economic data is completely worthless at this point. Yeah,
11: yeah, it pretty much is. We know it's going to be bad you know, and and really... Well, going to be backward-looking, right? The
2: U.S. economy it's added whatever job... I mean, come on.
11: We, all we care about is what's right. going and to happen. the market's already priced it in. Right, right. So really, listen, all that matters, you want to... What we saw out in Italy today was some good news on the virus. You yes. Good news on the virus. That's really what's going to change Second By the we way, if you're not, viewers prices, don't
2: know what you're talking yeah. about. It's the second day in a row where the number of new cases declined. Still a lot of new... Yeah. Not minimizing that in any way, BK, but I think what you're pointing to is the number of new cases tick down two days in a row. Yeah.
11: Yeah. And, and this is what markets look at. So this is not to minimize the health crisis at all. What we're supposed to do is look at the market to try to help people uh, invest in that. And so what markets are going to be looking for is changes in the data. So those kind of two days in a row, that's a data point that I can look at and say, OK, it may be maybe this is the peak. In Italy and then I can extrapolate and say that's coming a couple weeks here the problem people have had and you've talked about it all day and on the show tonight is that you don't know how long this is gonna last so you don't know what your earnings are gonna be you don't know what kind of hit you're gonna take if you can put some clarity around that then people can start investing Yeah. In it.
2: And, and by the way I mean listen other people can give the numbers but I, I bring this from a markets perspective I look at the Johns Hopkins Screen like so many people do these days, and by the way, shout out to them and a great work by them and their team i 'm sure they 're working tirelessly every night about five o 'clock. I look at the numbers and I mark it down five o 'clock on Friday, there were sixteen thousand six hundred known u s cases right now there are forty two thousand eight sixteen thousand to forty two thousand from Friday to Monday when not if, but when that u s number also begins to roll over. For a couple of days' time, what kind of a mood do you think we're going to start to feel in this market?
11: I think we're going to feel a lot better. I think we're going to feel an awful lot better. It's probably two or three weeks away, but I think, you know, then people are going to start saying, OK, I can model out when this is going to peak, when we might be out of a quarantine, and when people can start getting back to work. Now I know how, many, how much earnings people have lost, and now I can start to put some valuations on stock. But to your point about economic data being worthless, I don't. I just don't know right now. So how do I put any type of valuation framework in when the most important thing is an uncertainty about earnings?
2: Is there any company that you're going to listen to more than any other company going forward here, BK?
11: Well, I mean, certainly, you know, I, I want to see how um, the freight companies do. And I'm not just talking about FedEx, uh, but I'm talking about some of the railroads, certainly the airlines, What? how fast do they get back up and running? Because that's the other key. When we get to the other side of this, are we going to have a fast recovery? Are going to go back out there, jump on the planes and say, all right, I'm going on vacation. Do we need to ramp up that supply chain again? So I want to watch the railroads, the transports outside of FedEx and UPS, because we know they're actually probably going to be doing very well because the delivery. I don't know about you, but I can't get my Amazon fresh order for another week.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Listen, there, there is a a long wait time as well. And These delivery folks, they've been out there pretty much all morning long, all night long in bad weather today. The weather was just absolutely terrible. So a shout out to them as well. And by the way, if our viewers are just joining us uh, and they wonder where Jim and Mad Money is, Jim will be planning to come along at 630 p.m. Eastern time tonight. We expected that press conference that you see glimmers of and you can see A.G. Uh, William Barr is on stage right now to begin about 530 p.m. Eastern that's the guidance we were given anyway. Obviously, it did not occur. It is now 610, 40 minutes past the start time, although it looks like they are getting started. Once they do, we will take that to you live. And if you are just joining us and you've been working hard, because a lot of you have, certainly at home, trying to keep working, dealing with the families as well. The Dow fell 582 points today. That was a 3% drop. The NASDAQ may be a bright spot. The NASDAQ falling just 03 So technology, parts of it anywhere, like Twitter, they've held on a little bit longer. The dollar index fell 0.3%, although this London shutdown, certainly watch the currency markets. London is a hub of capital, but foreign exchange trading in particular. Obviously, a lot of people are still going to be allowed to go to work at the banks, but it is possible FX trading, which powers so much around the world, could see some dislocations as well. The 10-year yield at 0.79 percent. BK's favorite, Bitcoin, rising nearly 3 percent today. And crude oil actually catching a bit of a bid, too. So there's kind of your rundown of where the markets were today. BK, I believe you are still there. And by the way, this is the most time you've ever been given on Fast Money. So you're, so you're welcome, by the way, on that. Um, <laughs> I look at oil. I look at Bitcoin. I'm trying to see a pattern. I don't necessarily see one forming yet. Have you been able to spot any patterns in this market that may start to be forming?
11: Well, I I can just tell you from the seat that I'm on, we run a a cryptocurrency hedge fund. We've seen a tremendous amount of institutional interest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Um, so I'm starting to see that pattern for at first. And, and that certainly makes sense in this environment, right? This is the exact environment that Bitcoin was created for. It was created in 2009 during that crisis uh, because people were concerned that they were going okay, to spend so much I gotta, money. Brian, I got to jump in. Thank you very much.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.